Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us. This is our final kind of official event for the year for educators. We've got a lot of educators coming into the building in the next couple of weeks and literally thousands of students, but this is the, the final formal event here on beautiful Ghana country, Agsagana Mianayatanga, Yuandi Nyatalia. You guys are in for such a treat. You're super, super lucky because one of, well, one of Australia's most extraordinary artists is speaking to you this evening. Julie Goff speaks, oh yes, welcome her. Woo! Nothing comes close to this woman and I just described her work upstairs as a mic drop moment in Australian art and I really feel strongly about that. It is truly transformative. We have been really super keen. We've, Nikki and I have known Julie for many years but we've been super keen to, to invite her back to AGSA and the result is absolutely astounding. The whole of Australia needs to see it. So many people have said to us, can you tour this? Can this go on the road? Because so, it's such an incredible incursion, rethinking and a radical repositioning and, and a wake up call, a mic drop moment and a wake up call. So you are super, super lucky. Now, very excitingly tonight in our final formal program, we have, Tom, have you seen it? It's very exciting. Our new, our new publication, so just here, we have been working, led by our extraordinary educator extraordinaire. Oh, do you like that? He gets two extraordinaries. Uh, Tom Reddit. We have been working on this Make and Create. Based on the kind of success and response to this world selling, <laughs> 5,000 5, sell, world sell out, 5,000 copies around the, around the world, we thought we would put something together for junior students and junior educators, and Tom has been working on this for how long? Two years? 18 months. 18 months, two years, yep. And they have, they've just landed, like I haven't even opened this yet really properly, so they've just landed. Okay, Nikki Cumpston, Artistic Director of Tarnandi, is also here tonight. And we've got so much going on, as we always do for First Fridays. We've got the band from CASM, so that some of the CASM from the University of Adelaide Indigenous performers and musicians, etc., are out there now. And we've also got Sonia Rankin running a workshop in half an hour, I think, Sonia kicks off. Is that right? So it's all happening. So thanks for joining us. Can you give her another clap? All right. It's exciting. Thanks very much. Um, so I've got to... I've got, have we got 30 minutes? 30 minutes. Oh, 30 minutes. How, how many do you think you're going to get? I always have this personal challenge. I put all the artworks I've ever made into the PowerPoint <laughs> and then it's like 300 megabytes and then I see where I end up, usually in the middle. So we'll just see if that... I'm just privately testing myself. About to launch then. Here we go. So firstly, I'd like to uh, acknowledge and pay my respects to the Ghana people whose country I'm very fortunate to be visiting again and so soon after the opening event. Um, when I was also really privileged to be here for that. Um, I'd like to thank Nikki for her, her vision and efforts over so many years to make this an uh, uh, incredible hub and give so many artists opportunities to uh, work, make new work and, and be together. It's been incredible. Um, and yeah, the whole of AXA team, it's such an, inc um, an amazing institution for people coming together and 
making things happen that I haven't encountered to the same extent anywhere else. So as I speak through today, um, Psychoscape and then into previous works, um, what happened with Psychoscape is due to those different departments and staff here coming together to make the vision a reality. Um, so I'm from, I've flown in from Nipaluna, Hobart, from Lutruwira, Tasmania. I was born in Nam, Melbourne, but my family originally from Tebekuna, that's northeast Tasmania, and my maternal family are Trawalway people. My dad's a Scottish immigrant with a still strong accent from Glasgow. Uh, but all of that kind of, I think, helps explain, perhaps it does, but to me it helps explain why I've got this um, sense of uh, obligation, responsibility in a way to understand what happened in Lutruwira that um, affected and created who I am and my family and their experiences before me. So that's um, the journey for me is, is uh, sharing that, but uh, also researching and finding and sharing uh, what I'm finding through archives with uh, not necessarily the same audience or people as those that come see the artworks. So the artworks are one of the outcomes, but um, not necessarily the most important. But that's just something that I can uh, release into the world as I go. So I'll start. I think I can press the arrows. Yes, yes. Childhood in the Milk Bar, St Kilda, Auckland Street. Uh, apparently I was placed in a high chair uh, in the corner and uh, people put money in the jukebox and I would sing not very well or in tune. Uh, meanwhile, across the water in northeast Lutuita, as I mentioned, home country. So th there's a kind of cavernous divide, but not just Bath Strait between these two entities of country, and uh, so that that's probably what leads in one short step or not leap to psychoscape. So I'll talk my way through this because of time. I wasn't sure whether where to put it, but safer to put psychoscape first for this presentation. Um, has how many has anyone has everyone been up to see it yet? As yet, pretty much a few of you. Oh, yeah, maybe seventy-two percent. Yeah, been there. Oh, yeah, because it, it it is experiential. Um, it's it's got a sound a sort of uh, it's got sound, which uh, when I was editing with Gemma, film editor. We had my whole house sort of buzzing like it was uh, taken over by a low-flying spaceship. But um, in, in, in here, AXA, we needed to sort of uh, tone it down a bit because apparently it felt like an earthquake was happening across the whole building. Um, so this is with the design team creating this, which um, I drew with my scissors and glue stick to create an entry portal or sense of the compass meets the clock meets this uh, so perpetual wondering that I have about how to express it, expose, explain these kind of things about Lutuwira, the history and the cross-cultural history. I'm pretty much um, stuck and uh, I'm, wonder I'm worried it's my comfort zone but I am a bit stuck in the 1820s which is the cr critical decade of the most violence uh, upon Aboriginal people and the most kind of conflict and contact, probably even to, to today, between uh, Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people there. Um, so this idea of the, the wheel and where the needle may stop, where is north, where is south, what is, you know, what is the, 
what did happen and what may we make of it. So Psychoscape, it's spelt around the perimeter, you may or may not realise, and it's leading its way or us into a space to hopefully be a bit destabilised and think about legacies and uh, how we might reapproach what's the re residue in a way in the galleries and museums in particular. So this came about, like um, as Lisa mentioned, because I was fortunate in uh, 2019 to have a solo exhibition called Tense Past in the TMAG, Tasmanian Museum and Art Gallery, uh, curated by Dr Mary Knights, who worked here for many years in Adelaide. And uh, she, w we worked together to, to, well, to bring my vision there was, this is a, a kind of, uh, it's uh, the same vision for Psychoscape, but expanded into the realm of maybe a bit psychotic in fact, but in TMAG, Tense Past was about bringing out from the collections, furniture, artworks, as, as evident here, and um, perhaps a, a less obvious set of relationships were born between my existing artworks and those collection objects uh, for Tense Past, but here I've made new works to respond to the collection, so it's a step further. And I've also um, purposefully visited country, parts of Luttrewitta to that are shown in colonial artworks here in, in, the, in the gallery, Gallery 8, which took me on a, it sort of like it forced my hand or me physically to go somewhere to uh, unpack and sort and uh, produce. So it feels very uh, real engagement with the collection by um, undertaking this task. As you walk in the room on the right, you, there's a small uh, image in pencil, which is, uh, I'll go back, sorry. Um, t it's a, a pencil representation of this. There's seven in the world that have survived that were placed on trees to communicate to Tasmanian Aboriginal people. Um, so they're very odd pictographs and it's, uh, they were created according to correspondence that survives um, because f surveyor, George Franklin, govern government surveyor, um, suggested to Governor Arthur, this is how we can show Aboriginal people that we will meet out equal justice to uh, Aboriginal people who kill us, or if our colonists kill Aboriginal people, both will be executed equally. This sort of set of, um, this, uh, this sort of duality of equality all the way through, these pairings are very odd and uh, nowhere near the truth of, of colonisation of my island. And um, so that this panel kind of set the scene for the whole room, in a sense, because there is a whole lot of these responses happening throughout. So this is a pencil rendition that is in the collection here, uh, which is a late is uh, mistitled because later, by 1860s, uh, the original panel was presented in Victoria, in one of the great ex uh, exposi exhibitions. I think it was called it. Intercolonial in 1866 in Melbourne. Um, by that date, it was being misnamed as by a l earlier governor than Arthur Davy. But anyhow, as you enter, then there's a couple of colonial paintings on the uh, right wall. The first is uh, John Glover and a work uh, set in Mills Plains beneath uh, Ben Lomond uh, in uh, northeast Tasmania, where Lutruida, where I had previously been able to respond to this painting in the uh, Biennale about three years ago. So it's like a, 
that felt like it, it's part of my kind of toolkit. Uh, so this is, here I've sliced it into segments and shuffled them up into this sort of crazy maze of my island. The second work is, um, is a pigony and it's uh, set near Ross, which is in the middle or midlands of uh, Little Widow, Tasmania. And what, what we have and for all of the room of Psychoscape is really a response to the fences and the gates and this um, perpetual difficulty I'm finding of uh, being on country, uh, beyond those roads and highways and beyond my garden, so much we're locked out of. I, I said it recently, um, was thinking about my brother, my brother recently said to me, and I've said it once recently again, because it, it really strikes, you know, uh, strikes true. He mentioned that so many Aboriginal people say they're going on country on the weekends, uh, and then he was reflecting on that, and what it is is that we're going to national parks because we can't get on most of our country, you know, and uh, it's, there's a, I don't think it's, yeah, I feel a kind of sense of lament about that, that how, how, and how to expose and present this uh, issue of access and how much is locked out and when something seems no longer to be country because it's renamed and under a different legal system of deeds. Uh, so these are other works where I've thought a lot about and tried to access over fences and down driveways rather than um, discuss with uh, colonists, landholders, may I gain access. So for the Ross work, I was driving the response to the work uh, of the cattle near Ross by Pigany. I <coughs> tried to find, it, find the location by Google Earth and also by driving relentlessly you know, around Ross following the river systems. And eventually, and speaking to farmers who, if you park near a fence long enough, they'll come and find out what you're doing. And um, eventually Ross was, that site was located in a kind of public, a public or um, crown land as it's called, which is another interesting problem to yet to be dealt with. But the, the psychoscape on the floor, uh, Ross work, is spinning, so that's, the major idea was it would be like a, a wheel in the centre of the space, like the wheel is when you're entering the compass wheel, and, and create this nausea that I feel, the stress of trying to be somewhere where I can't. Uh, on the back wall, there's a, a painting by um, Von Gerard of a waterfall near Ross. Um, I mean, not Ross, sorry, on the River Clyde. It's near Bothwell. If you know ta uh, Tasmania, it's about an hour from west of northwest of Hobart. Uh, there's just some different views. And uh, so this really, this small painting, I um, also again Google Earth and then emailing people who I thought might be able to assist and eventually uh, gained the contact details of the current landholders and old colonial family of the place where this uh, is. Um, and I sent the image of the painting to, the, to this uh, couple and they said, yes, come. And then they emailed back and said, I'll come in about six weeks, which was a bit scary for my time frame for making the work, um, for editing and considering what it would be. 
uh, when I eventually got there, and you'll, make, you'll see this in the video, which is to the, the large video projection on the right, is um, the river is not red, but it is. It's, in my mind, it's running with blood because the Clyde River that runs through Bothwell is in, it was a site of a, a large amount of uh, violent encounter and attack between Aboriginal people and uh, colonists. And um, so the water feels, feels like a place of particular intensity when I was there for that. And so the colour of the river changes in the footage. Um, but when I sent the painting, to, the image of the painting to the couple, the reason they uh, asked for six w some time duration before my visit, um, one of the reasons at least, was that the farmer went down and um, and tried and managed to kill a lot of the willow trees to make it look more like the original painting because it it actually um, that's the original painting. And then just notice on the right the two men with the fishing rods. Uh, the uh, land colonists with fishing rods because in, in the installation I've placed two of my spears there instead. This sort of, again, these responses to the... the um, so, yeah, there's this evidence of kind of con conflagration and fire for trying to remove this introduced species to bring it back to look like the artwork, which I've got all kinds of mixed feelings about, but it's happened before in Victoria. I know that um, land management has, has utilised... Uh, historic artworks to assist in revegetation in the, the way places once were. The couch, so you can see the this uh, chaise couch is from the collection here. Um, let see what else. The small table is uh, from my house and the background to that, which isn't evident unless I mention it, such as here, is that uh, I purchased it in, um, I think it was 2017, it had been freshly made and utilised in the film as a prop on the film The Nightingale, which is a, a film about a massacre and frontier in, in Van Diemen's Land, so uh, pre-Tasmania Lutruida. So it, it kind of, for me, hovering there is this kind of witness object to the film, which in a way is a ghost of, of the reality. And that's what I'm interested in, these layers of what objects carry. Uh, and what they've seen and, wh and who made them, what they saw, what they inherited, what we can make of all of this together. And um, there is the pot. The chair is from the collections here. And the small table I bought at Westbury and just down the road, five, you know, seven minutes or something, is Dalaraine, where these chairs, they've kind of got this mythical status as Jimmy Possum, it's been suggested in recent years, was an Aboriginal man. But the mysteries of this is kind of... Partly what I'm working through in life is how can we find the missing and the dead, the Aboriginal people before us who have um, only exist often in one line in a baptism record or a death record. And Jimmy Possum's this chair feels a little emblematic of of that, but that the seeking and not necessarily ever finding the answers to that. But um, they, when I saw the chair and asked if it could be in this installation. Uh, I remembered that I had this table that does look like a kind of um, kinfolk to the chair, really. Um, oh, the, the film footage, you'll see it. It just uh, is a lot of surveillance type footage. I bought a drone uh, for this project and um, that's been 
incredibly useful for the work on Ross, the site where I spun the drone a lot. Um, I had a lot of trouble with ducks who kept wanting to come out of the water. They're in the Ross footage, beautiful, but they kept coming out towards me when I was trying to land the drone and um, that caused a near chaos and um, near duck slaughter, in fact. <laughs> so um, it's really, they say, you know, you're not allowed to fly in an eagle's nest, there's a power line, all these things, but, you know, friendly ducks are a real problem. So that's, none were hurt in the making of the film, but with Waterfall, there was no um, evident close wildlife because it feels like a really sad, um, you can see the burnt trees on the, Top film. So this idea of those surveillance of country and seeking, you know, seeking something, some evidence of apart from um, our so many of our absence from where we should be across country, I suppose, all of the ancestors that were eradicated, moved, relocated to Flinders Island. Um, so this is on the other side of the wall from the painting by Glover and. Uh, Pigany is a two works by Joseph Lysett and he made a whole series of works for New South Wales and Van Diemen's Land that um, often, often in the New South Wales works they do show Aboriginal people, depict Aboriginal people, but none of the Van, De Van Diemen's Land works show Aboriginal people, which I think is telling um, because he was there at an early enough date for us to have been visible and present. But then again, what he shows in the in the uh, these the Tasmanian works all show men with these guns. They're the brown bess, a um, the musket of empire from Canada and New Zealand and South Africa and India. It was carried by the British and did a lot of uh, murderous work. So there's a close up of the South Esk. And while while this was being produced, one of my Aboriginal ancestors was living. Uh, on the Lake River, which runs into the South Esk. And uh, she was actually shot in 1825, but survived to tell the tale to a magistrate. So I think that, the, for me, the gun, it may, may appear shocking, but it's some f it has a sense of evidentiary object for me of trying to bring things into the visual and into something encountered by any anyone makes it feel and hopefully be seen as as you know, viable as real as let's let's look carefully at history again. Um, yeah, they're, they're invariably with these uh, colonists in these artworks where um, they're not needing to protect themselves from lions or tigers. You know, it's pretty much um, Aboriginal people they're concerned about, and uh, later bush rangers as well. Um, on the right, there's a live stream for, to my garden, which is in Hobart. And um, the reason for that is, uh, I don't know, there's about 12 reasons. Then, and one of <laughs> when, I, when it was installed and I came across, I didn't think of that reason, which was it was kind of comforting to look at my garden. Because, uh, but, but generally, the idea is to bring that real, the ultimate real of my everyday life into the space. You know, to just say, this is not history. This, this is... Uh, reality in fact and there is there there I you know at any moment in fact um, my husband cleaned the gutters and that was visible apparently um, on the ladder in front of these figures there's two sets of key rings that were recently purchased by a cousin in Evanel market in northern Tasmania and he sent a photo he said do you want these and I'm like yes yes definitely 
Um, and this is what I mean about the flexibility and the openness of this gallery to, to the work being you know, formed during the process of, of uh, the everything coming together here. Not so many galleries say, you know, tell us your final work immediately, you know, the domain, everything. And meanwhile, this was being created and objects being brought in and tested and taken away remotely with me. It was very special to do that. So we kind of co-choreographed the work. Um, so the figures, they were framed by um, the gallery, the key rings of an Aboriginal warrior with a spear and a swagman. These, these are notions of, and I think they're from the 1960s when I was a, you know, born, uh, this idea of creating uh, folkloric figures and this fixed in time and this nostalgia and a lot I'm thinking of uh, what has affected and created me from uh, motifs and forms like that. And they're suspended in the tree. Uh, in a wattle tree in my front garden, and that's uh, that's uh, the other thing that shows which is is um, non-native species that I inherited with the house that I can't seem to successfully kill because I feel guilty to kill roses, etc. So there's a this sort of cross-cultural thing going on in my front garden. Um, the other work on the way out. There's two other works to just describe. Um, one of them is the promise, which is the chair work that's been um, augmented with the uh, form or the shadow of a dog, which um, years ago I didn't think much about these, but dogs became incredibly important to uh, Aboriginal people to warn of colonists but coming, but also because there were raids at 3am by uh, colonists on Aboriginal camps to massacre raids and dogs were incredibly helpful but too late helpful for for a warning of that but also um, they were companions and uh, became evident when it, um, our ancestors were shipped to Flinders Island how much in the texts that survived from the time they loved their these uh, these dogs and there's this other anomaly of the introduced and the new and the um, shadows are of vellum, kangaroo skin, and they move. They've kind of been uh, released from, mobilised from the proclamation panel that I mentioned at the start. So that's another form that kind of resembles the other circular shapes. And on the way out, Black Peg of Van Diemen's Land is a, a small portrait, a caricature almost or really um, from the collections here that I was fortunate to loan for Tense Past in TMAG as well. And um, she's, for me, not last but not least, because um, I'm well obsessed with, like I mentioned, the uh, missing and dead Aboriginal people in the p of the past, that there's one line or ten words about them and trying to work out. I've now located uh, records for information about 185 Aboriginal children that lived with colonists before 1850. That's a lot. There's... Um, found 48 baptisms between 1811 and 1836 um, and the rest are just scant mentions in journals and death records. So I've been recently making works where I can relocate some of them back to where they were last seen alive and uh, it, it, it works for me. These, this all helps to expose and explain how the whole island for me is, is, is a crime scene and, and, and it needs, I think, to be treated like 
as such in a forensic sense to uh, there's work being done, for example, at Newcastle Uni on a massacre map, but from, uh, it, I think it needs to be broader than five deaths equals a massacre and can be plotted. There's so much more and different ways to think of other layers of uh, where people are still living, like the children, um, not massacred, or less than five people that are killed, the colonists that were also um, killed and wounded. All of this is the tangle that we need to, uh, I think, uh, research further and work out which, um, where are those that m survived, um, because I do think that a great deal of, uh, of the, those children did survive. I'm not sure how many, but I think at least several dozen. So that's part of what I'm working on permanently is trying to find those that may not know who they are across Lutruwira. That's one of the aspects of my work. Um, so I'll just go through some other images for a little moment and then we could... I've only gone through um, like a quarter of my slides. <laughs> That's an epic fail. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, hopefully that was useful to kind of approach Psychoscape though for you to see it's a kind of walk through the island and the extent to which permission is needed for Aboriginal people to spend time anywhere and what might be the conditions to do so um, at the kind of mercy of others, really. Um, this is 1830, which is the year of the military campaign against the Aborigines of Van Diemen's Land, often called the Black Line, six weeks when colonists and their servants, convict servants, were um, given the firearms, uh, ammunition and handcuffs to try and move all Aboriginal people to Tasman Peninsula for shipping to exile to Flinders Island. So, but it vastly overestimates uh, that there's 600 Aboriginal people at large and by um, early 1831 there was evident that there were less than 30 left uh, that weren't captured already, exiled already. And, um, and it also the proclamation panel and these figures uh, and the map of the, of the Black Line campaign, uh, they demonstrate how how little had been done to try to communicate with Aboriginal people for 30 years until it was way too late. And these are documents of empire to suggest that there had been efforts made to conciliate, to come up with any form of um, treaty, etc. But it really was a very, um, very purposeful annihilation that the government didn't uh, attempt any, any great to any great extent to quell what the colonists took into their own hands. Uh, these are from tents passed in TMAG. Um, some images of some different works. Um, so yeah, I really feel furniture and anything that's already made in the world has absorbed the energy and the place where it's found or the house it was in or so there's great potential for those to carry meaning. These silhouettes are um, a proposition because uh, if you've been to Tasmania, Lutawida, the Midlands Highway has 16 sets of silhouettes by a uh, non-Aboriginal uh, metal worker who has, and none of them have any, any uh, connection or mention or sh you know, um, illustrate anything Aboriginal. So 
that's what I'm suggesting, is this idea of how to instate what is missing as well as explore and figure and these silhouettes um, are a suggestion to tell a truer story of the Midlands of, of the island where the, the most of the silhouettes are very kind of peaceable, the ones that are out there already in, uh, in steel. Um, yeah, different reworkings of the proclamation panel in different uh, places. Again, the, this without the earlier the version without the the dog. What what they what they say about the children? It's sort of codified in the panel it, the, of uh, the non-Aboriginal woman holding the Aboriginal child, and the Aboriginal woman as servant holding the non-Aboriginal child. And there's there is a great sense of antebellum, like the plantation estates across Tasmania. That there's uh, something was brought to the island that. It's not evident how much of that did occur, but with so many children that were not living with their families, that's evidence of massacre and also intent of a different type of servant class, I think. Um, so I think I should stop and then make a talk instead. Would that be useful or shall I keep... Show, what would you like? Show some more images. Yeah, okay, these are children, stories of missing children, just tiny one-lines that I found in journals and a boy that I've found mostly in the newspapers in Sydney, 1804. Um, these are women, our women that were taken by sealers. The first woman's one of my ancestors, Waratamaratiana, and um, so it's just one generation of women, but there were three generations of stolen women from Bass Strait before 1830. And uh, this was the earlier work before 1840, um, when I, 2008, but I kept finding more and more and more. So um, this then became this uh, work in 2019 in the forest that called the Queen's Domain, sort of suitably on, ominous name for the forest, adjacent to Government House uh, next to Hobart. So these were, I've made posters with uh, my friend Margaret, is a designer, so we created a template to these uh, children. And um, it becomes just um, taking things out of research and into something that you can navigate in a forest makes it much more clear the immensity of empire in, in uh, Utruwira. This is my brother. And my mother took part in a video work where I found this old shoe in a place called Skullbone Plains, which is, you know, I think as um, was as spooky a place as its name suggests. And the story that I was told about a family that lived there, um, not clear what, what cultural background, but um, when I told my mother and brother the story, they independently sp spoke back to camera or holding the object. And, and, and created entirely different stories. So it's very, this is this, in, this issue or it's um, the interesting thing of what happens with um, history, you know, and, and story and how it's hard to, it's uh, nebulous. That's, uh, so I'll be permanently trying to understand the past at this rate. Um, a, a, a project to, for an exhibition where I was able to stay at Botany Bay uh, at Hazelhurst Gallery Residency, and a group exhibition uh, was focused on Cook and his landing nearby. 
Um, but the work I came up eventually with was that um, I became, it was kind of by staying there that I realised on bin day that all the bins have Captain Cook on them in the, in the suburb, which I was kind of then, I took a bin to where Cook landed and there's a lot of rubbish. So became a kind of, more and more works have been a bit strangely performative in this way to action something and something kind of pointless, but just by doing it in a repetitive sense, there's, it, it actually feels weirdly satisfying, but hopefully gets some sort of point across as well of the mess, you know. Um, running on country where the military uh, manoeuvres occurred that I mentioned. Um, I'll go a couple more minutes. Um, yeah, visiting... Um, this is uh, the headquarters of the Van Diemen's Land Company, uh, Stanley, in uh, northwest Lutruida. So, yeah, film about trying to get somewhere and, again, try to t almost turn back the clock and fix something that isn't fixable. Uh, language, how... Uh, this work was when I... John Howard, that date, in 2007, that was the day bill poster of the newspaper. The Australian was Aborigines must learn English. And immediately I remembered how many of our ancestors learnt English perfectly well to yell back in the 1820s and 30s. Uh, and little, little good did it do us, you know, our ancestors. So this is some of the language that was noted at the time. Um, so I think, yeah, the sort of now and then and the parallels and the ironies and the... There's uh, also the kind of heartache of it all. Um, and last, oh, 2019. See, I say last year because what happened to 2020? I don't know. What happened? I just must have fallen asleep like in fairy tale. Um, so, yeah, responding to colonial artworks. So sort of starting more and more since this work where I was able to work at the Australian Print Workshop uh, fantastically and um, make some etchings that then I hand-coloured based on works, but modifying them. And so this was all the names of the children I'd found at that time. And this was a combination of different historic works relating to my ancestor being shot that I mentioned. Her name was Delrymple Briggs. So she um, survived. And so she, this is uh, utilising different elements to recreate a, a, the story of that and those witnesses riding past on horseback. <coughs> and this is a, a, a place I found um, on, a, it's on a winery estate. It's quite handy with so many wineries, distilleries, and um, even olive groves that you can drive through a lot of gates now, not necessarily get up to too much um, while you're in, in there, but that's handy for the idea of like lack of access that kind of perpetually is a problem. But um, this is a famous painting a man commissioned when he went to London. Uh, he, his name was John Allen and he was attacked apparently at Milton Farm, that's now Milton Winery with expensive fancy wines. But um, this attack, I've placed myself in the middle of this etching um, with who's attacking me are, are historians who are kind of taking over our narrative and history and purporting to be the those that um, know more and want to be the ones that expose and explain colonial history, so I'm ha me having a, one of my moments, um, grumpy moments, um, in, this, in this work. 
the sort of frustration of how can we tell our own story. I can do it as an artist, but um, there's not many of us in Luchwida Aboriginal people undertaking it in print text, and there's a lot of power in those that can publish for them, and a longer duration than artworks, I think, for um, accessibility. Oh, that's, sorry, that's disgusting. That's, I got bitten by a leech. Sorry, that's, I just like, sympathy vote. Um, <laughs> no, I don't know, they don't bite really, they just kind of latch on. Um, I'm, oh, well, so this was a really amazing opportunity to, um, with assistance, I was able to go via two boats to where the French expedition d'Entrecasteau uh, set up camp and planted vegetables. Um, they said it was f for Aboriginal people and for future voyages kind of bizarre, but also some nice French her herbs. Uh, so I created a, a work there and uh, afterwards these large, with the mud but, and oxides and um, paint to send back to France to, as a kind of re, kind of um, re-communication after all these centuries basically from this end. Uh, King Island, I had an opportunity early in the year to um, a creator work for the Kataraki shipwreck um, anniversary, which was the largest wreck with the most, like the most deaths, drownings in uh, maritime history on this continent, off this continent. So the locals um, welcomed me to film them working with the bones and shells that I found along the beach shore, which um, is the result. Um, I'll stop there then. I only got up to how many slides did I get through? Oh no. Um, thanks for that. <laughs>